How many have a Bible with you? Do you have a Bible? Come on, if you got a Bible, wave it in the air like you just do, Karen. Let me see it. Some of your Bibles are glowing. That's awesome. <laughs> if you got a Bible, let's go to uh, Numbers 11 today. Numbers 11. And uh, I want to illuminate for our understanding verses 1 through 6. Numbers 11, 1 through 6. And then I also want to look at John chapter 6, verses 30 through 35. Numbers 11, 1 through 6. And then John chapter 6, 30 through 35. Once you got numbers, why don't you say, yeah. yeah. If you're still looking for it, say, hold up. All right, hurry up. I want you to find it. <laughs> Numbers 11 it says, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tibera, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. I want to give a little context to this text. Uh, this is during a time in the history of the children of Israel where God has done a supernatural, magnanimous miracle. He has emancipated them from the chains of slavery in Egypt, and they are now en route to the promised land. They're en route to the place that God has for them. And watch what happens. En route to the promised land, all of a sudden they say, Lord, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. And here's why they want to go back. So they can get some meat, some garlic, some leeks, I don't even know what that is, and onions. This is why they want to go back to slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first Hunger Games right here in the Bible. They want to go back to slavery just to get some meat. And I love meat. I'm a meatitarian, but not at the cost of going back to slavery. But isn't it funny when God brings you out of something? We sometimes have this inner proclivity and tendency to gravitate back to the very same thing that we said God get us out of. Ooh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. <laughs> they, they were sick of the manna, which was the bread that came down from heaven. I want to look at John chapter 6 because Jesus expounds upon what that bread that from heaven was. Therefore they said to him, verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? They're talking to Jesus. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. In other words, hashtag, y'all don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Can you say amen? That is good stuff, good stuff. I want to preach uh, this afternoon, not long, probably about four and a half hours, uh, just using as a subject, just keep walking. Just keep 
walking. Would you help me preach this afternoon? Look at the person next to you. Get in their face. Get in their personal space. And just say, neighbor, whatever you do, just keep walking. That was the wrong neighbor. They were stuck up. They didn't even want to talk to you. I saw. I saw. Please find another neighbor. Find another neighbor. And say, other neighbor, whatever you do, just keep walking. If you believe God's going to speak to you today, would you give him some praise in advance? Hallelujah. Just keep walking. People's Church, I don't know if you've ever experienced the phenomenon of having a moment in church that you will never forget. In the not-too-distant past, I had one of those moments. I was preaching at a youth and young adult conference in Fort Smith, Arkansas. There I was just doing what I do, preaching from Genesis all the way to the maps in the back. <laughs> and all of a sudden I noticed in the back of the auditorium, a young man stood up in the middle of my preaching. Now, my ADD is not too bad, so I was really unperturbed by this young man standing up in the middle of my message. In fact, I prefer people to stand up in the middle of my message, especially if you stand up and make the you're preaching good face. Come on, you know that you're preaching good face. It is synonymous with the constipated face, but it's when the preacher is preaching real good that you are just forced to stand up out of your seat and go. <laughs> I like that. So, so I just kept preaching, just kept preaching. Then all of a sudden I noticed this young man in the middle of my message comes down his row and then starts coming full speed towards the altar in the middle of my sermon. Now, I would have thought that like a Billy Graham or a Benny Hinn anointing was on me if the young man was coming towards the altar with tears cascading down his face and his hands lifted saying, oh, Jesus, I need you. But that's not how he was coming towards the altar. He was coming towards the altar in the middle of my sermon with one hand in his pocket. <laughs> I don't know if I told you, I was in Fort Smith, Arkansas. <laughs> Ain't a whole lot of chocolate people in Fort Smith, Arkansas. <laughs> And a young man is coming full speed towards the altar in the middle of my message, one hand in his pocket. I immediately looked to my father, who was traveling with me at the time, who serves as my prayer covering, but most importantly, my bodyguard. And uh, he's nowhere to be found. So I'm thinking, he's fired. This is messed up. I'm about to die in Fort Smith, Arkansas, preaching the gospel because a young man is coming towards the altar, one hand in his pocket. I just kept preaching, just kept preaching. He gets to the front, and I can feel him looking at me while I'm preaching. So I think to myself, you know what? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Come on, at least I'm going out preaching. This awesome. This going to be on TBN, CNN, ABC, HIJK, Elemental P, Black Man Shot in Fort Smith, Arkansas, declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said, it's going to be awesome. So just kept preaching, and all of a sudden, I made eye contact with the young man, and I noticed tears were just streaming down his face. All of a sudden, he takes his hand out of his pocket, and to my shock, it's not a knife. <laughs> It's not a gun, it's not a hand grenade, but it's actually drug paraphernalia. And the young man throws the drugs down at the altar in the middle of my sermon, and then he starts shouting at the top of his lungs, God, I'm tired. God, I'm tired of fighting you. I give up. I surrender. It was in that moment I stopped preaching. 
went over to the young man and laid my hands on him and I prayed for him. I said, God, I thank you that this is a destiny moment. And from this moment forward, this addiction and the stronghold is broken off of his life and he's moving forward in his purpose and into his destiny. As a, so I started praying for the young man. All of a sudden, more young people started coming to the altar. In the middle of my sermon, without anybody saying, bow your head, count to three, do the hokey pokey, they just started coming to the altar. I called the young man up on stage, and I said, what's your name? He said, my name is Bill, <laughs> Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I said, Bill, what in the world possessed you to get out of your seat and come to the front in the middle of my message? He said, well, the whole time you were preaching, felt like my heart was beating out of my chest. He said, I've been addicted to these drugs for so long and I'm tired of fighting God. It's time for me to surrender and give my life to him. I said, Bill, I got the strange suspicion. You're not the only person in this room that's been at war with God. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you pray for the person that's still in their seat and hasn't responded to the call of God? His eyes got real big. He said, you want me to pray? I said, yeah, Bill, I want you to pray. And Bill prayed the most jacked up <laughs> but powerful prayer I've ever heard in my life. As Bill started praying, more young people started coming to the altar. And in that service, over 100 young people made a decision to make Jesus Christ their Lord and their Savior. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Now, you got to understand, I'm an evangelist. I'm an evangelist. If you haven't been around church, you don't know what that means. It's just a fancy word that means I travel telling people about Jesus, and I love to see people get saved, okay? So when I got back to the hotel room that night, I threw a party, okay? I'm throwing pillows in the air. I'm doing the Dougie. I'm like, take that devil, take that devil. Oh, the evangelist in me was so excited about Bill's salvation. But the pastor in me pondered what would be the process of Bill's liberation. Let me just offer as an embryonic thesis, there is a difference between salvation and liberation. There is a difference between making a decision and becoming a disciple. There is a difference between the miracle of what occurs in a moment and the miracle of what will occur with mileage. And I found more often than not in the body of Christ, we get real excited about the moments. Oh, we love the moments. We love when we come to a church service and we hear a good message or we hear our favorite worship song and then tears and snot is going everywhere. We're like, oh, this is awesome. We love when we're compelled to come to an altar and to make a decision. But we fail to forget that when you leave that altar, you're going to have to get up and make daily decisions that will alter your life and push you into the place that God has for you. And you got to have more than just the moment because often it is a process to become who God has called you to be now before you think I'm hating on the moments I'm not hating on the moments the moments are awesome you need the moments Oh, the moments are like Red Bull for your spirit. They're like steroids for your faith. As a matter of fact, I love that our faith is predicated on the premise that God can change you in a moment. In an instant, he can change your life. You do know that biblical salvation is completely different from any other religion in the world. First of all, every religion attests to the fact that there is a chasm, there is a space between God and man. But every other religion says that man has to come to God. Christianity is distinctly different. It is the only religion where God came down down to man. He put on human skin and came right to where we are. And if you ever want to know how much your God loves you, then just look at the cross and with his arms stretched out wide, he says, this is how much I love you. This is how much I care about you. This is how much my love is extended towards you. Oh, there is nothing like biblical salvation. In other religions,
religions, you can get converted, but it means something totally different. It means you use the resources of the religion to go through different stages and different levels. And in other religions, it's not till after you die that you find out what your reward is. But Christianity says something totally different. It says there can be a single moment in your life where once you had no hope, once you had no peace, once you had no life, once you had no joy, once you were a victim, and in one moment, as soon as your faith has a cataclysmic encounter with God's grace, how many are thankful you ain't got to wait till after you die to find out what your reward is? You can know now that you've been accepted. You can know now that you've been redeemed. You can know now that you've been forgiven and your sins have been washed away. Oh, I feel like preaching it here today. Somebody that understands the power of what God is able to do in your life, would you just shout now? now. Come on, say it like you got some faith. Say now. That's when God is able to do something in your life right now. You don't have to put your liberty on layaway. You can know now that God can bring a change in your life. Ooh, that's why I love verses like John chapter 5, uh, verse 24. This is what Jesus says. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, watch this, has eternal life. Not will have, has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Ooh, that's a good verse right there. I love that verse. I don't do drugs. I do scripture. That is a good verse right there. The, the fact that Jesus would use this phraseology of crossed over from death to life, that's actually given us blues clues uh, to something that happened in Exodus 14 that scholars and theologians tell us is the clearest biblical picture of what happens when you get saved. Something that happened in Exodus 14 that is the clearest biblical picture of salvation. As a matter of fact, if you're a believer in here today, it would behoove you to read Exodus 14 every day. Just every day. Just, just for encouragement. Read Exodus 14 every day. If you don't want to read it, then watch the movie, okay? The Ten Commandments. You can go old school with Charlton Heston or do the new school, the Bible series. And here's the part you need to watch. Watch the Red Sea being split and the children of Israel walking through the Red Sea out of slavery en route to the promised land. That is the clearest biblical picture of salvation. Just watch them walk through, rewind it, 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 watch them walk through, rewind it. But close your eyes when you rewind it. Close your eyes because you don't want to see anybody backslide, okay? You don't want that on your conscience. So just watch them walk through the Red Sea. It's the clearest biblical picture of what happens when you get saved, and here's why. Because for 400 years, 400, 400 years, that's a long time. For 400 years, they were in slavery. For 400 years, they were in bondage. For 400 years, they were in chains. And in one night, they go from being slaves to being saved. In one night, they go from singing songs of sorrow to singing songs of joy and celebration. In one night, they go from being victims to being victors. In one night, they go from being servants to understanding I am a son and a daughter of the Most High God. In one night, they got the victory after 400 years. How dare you have the nerve, the audacity, the unmitigated gall to say, well, Robert, I've been in this situation too long for God to bring me to victory. Has it been 400 years? How many are thankful that there is no stronghold that's been on in your life that God cannot bring you out of? Woo. Are y'all recording this? It's blessing me. I'm going to watch it later. <laughs> After 400 years, they get the victory in one moment and in one night. Now, you got to ask yourself as a critical thinker, what was the catalyst? What was the cause agent? What was the impetus of their salvation? You will first note it was not their morality. 
wasn't their morality. It wasn't like God came down with the Ten Commandments and said, hey, do you all solemnly swear to keep these Ten Commandments? Otherwise, I'm not going to split this Red Sea. Do y'all promise to do good? You better put your hands up. This water is cold. Do you promise? <laughs> Had nothing to do with their morality. So a way with trying to get yourself together before you come to God, you just come just as you are. Had nothing to do with their morality. It didn't even have anything to do with their level of faith. You know, some people say you got to be spiritual and float in the room and have great faith to have an experience. It didn't even have anything to do with their level of faith. How many know with the millions of people walking through, you got different levels of faith? You had people walking through with great faith, talking about, I told y'all we were going to get the victory. Didn't I tell you he was going to bring us through? I told you God had sovereign swag. I knew we were going to get the victory. They had great faith. But you know there were some people walking through that had little or no faith who's walking through the wall of water going, oh, Lord, we going to die. Moses, you better not drop your hand. You know I can't swim. They were scared. So it had nothing to do with their level of faith. So why did God save them? He saved them because they had been crying out to a God that they had heard about but hadn't personally experienced. And that God responded not to their deeds, but to their need. You serve a God that responds to your need. If you have a need in this place today, you may as well just give God praise in advance because he is attracted to your need. He responds to the cry of his children. He responded to their need, not their deeds. This is the greatness of the God that we serve. Now you understand that this text that we are extrapolating from today is from the Old Testament. And uh, the Old Testament is simply a shadow of which Christ is the reality in the New Testament. So when we look at this text, we cannot approach it like it's just a cute Sunday school story because there's so much revelation in this passage. You have to read it, in fact, with some Christocentric cognizance. Uh, that's just a fancy way to say you got to see Jesus all up in the text. In fact, your entire Bible is just pointing one big red light to one person who is Jesus. And the Old Testament is a shadow of which Christ is the reality in the New Testament. Uh, for example, if you're on the front row especially, uh, you guys can see my shadow that's being cast on the front here. Can you see my shadow? And how many of you know my shadow has to do what I do? If I lift up my hand, my shadow better lift up his hand. If I start dancing, my shadow better dance, okay? If I start dancing, my shadow goes, y'all got to find another preacher, okay? <laughs> Dropping the mic and running home, okay? So my shadow must do what I do. My shadow is proof positive of two things. Number one, I am real and that there is light somewhere in the room. See, when Jesus stood in the shadow of who he is, it cast a shadow, uh, it cast a shadow, stood in the light of who he was. It cast a shadow, which is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is just a shadow of which Christ is the reality. Now, if you look at my shadow, how many know you cannot get distinctive features? You can't look at my shadow and know my hair color. You can't look at my shadow and know my eye color. You know why? It's just a shadow. So that's why when you read the Old Testament, there are certain individuals who do incredible exploits, but they are not Christ. They're just giving you previews of a coming attraction. They're just setting you up for what Christ is going to do when he steps on the scene. So with that in mind, with our text today, we understand that the children of Israel become a shadow of the believer and the church. Pharaoh becomes a shadow of Satan. Egypt becomes a shadow of sin, which is why Pharaoh wants them to stay there. Moses becomes a shadow and a type of Christ because he was born for no other reason than to bring salvation, deliverance, victory, and freedom. Is anybody getting this or is this too much for Sunday morning? It's just a shadow of which Christ is the reality. The Passover that God instituted where they were taking innocent lamb, kill that lamb, <laughs> 
kill that lamb and then sprinkle the blood of the lamb on a wooden doorpost so when the death angel saw the blood of the lamb on the wooden doorpost it had to pass over that house that's just giving you a preview of another lamb who's going to be slain but his blood won't be shed on a wooden doorpost it's going to be shed on a wooden cross so when you identify with the cross of Jesus Christ are you thankful that death has to pass over your life and you are an heir of eternal life it's just a shadow of which Christ is the reality the Red Sea that they're walking through now becomes a shadow and a picture of baptism because it says when I go through this water the old me is in Egypt but the new me is coming out of the water into the place that God has for me quick people's church tag that means you got to get baptized next Sunday if you've not yet been baptized because even in biblical antiquity and Exodus we see that there is baptism now if that don't make you praise God something's wrong with you for real though <laughs> This true story, as soon as the children of Israel came through the Red Sea and Pharaoh and all of his horses and all of his men drowned in that water, they went crazy. They started praising God. It's actually the first recorded praise and worship song in all of scripture. They just started lifting up their voice and giving God praise. See, this is why I can always tell somebody in a church service that is fully aware that God has delivered them and brought them out of something because you don't have to pump that person up to praise God. They don't need a band. They don't need a singer. They don't need a trumpet. All they need is a flashback to think where I could have been and where I should have been if it had not been for the grace of God and all of a sudden praise will begin to erupt from their heart and their spirit come on do I have anybody in here that can testify that if God hadn't brought you out you would be in an insane asylum you would be lost you would be dead come on you ought to just take 10 seconds for a praise break and just thank him that he brought you out of something Come on, somebody. He's been better to you than that. He's been faithful. He's been loving. He's delivered you from something. Y'all better come get me. I feel like preaching. They started praising God. They erupted in praise. Ooh, in my biblical mind, I see Moses giving a speech saying, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. But free at last. But hear me. Once the excitement wore off. Huh. Once the euphoria of their emancipation had eradicated, <laughs> in other words, once the thrill was gone, once the service was over, they're now faced with a question that you always have to ask yourself anytime you've had an encounter with God. And that question is this, who am I now? Who am I now? I know I'm no longer a slave and now I've been saved. But how do I walk in that when I have been a slave for so long? Say it another way. I know I'm out of Egypt, but how do I get Egypt out of me? See, this is what a lot of church people don't like to deal with. They don't like to deal with the fact that you can be out of Egypt, but not have Egypt out of you. And when you're out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you, it is confusing, it is frustrating, it makes you feel like you're schizophrenic because you know you've had an encounter with God you know it but you still got some Egypt behavior you still got some Egypt mentality see this is when you start making uh, what I call if I then why statements have you ever made an if I then why statement it's like if I have the peace of God then why am I so stressed out come on if, if I have Jehovah Jireh my provider 
then why is my money funny, my change is strange, I got more bills than I got income, and nobody will call me back after every interview I go on? Come on, have you ever made an if I, then why statement? It's like, if I have the mind of Christ, then why do I have things come to my mind that I know Jesus, Mary, Joseph, the donkey, and the wise man would not be thinking about? Have you ever made an if I, then why statement? It is indicative of the fact that you are out of Egypt, but Egypt is not out of you. And what most people don't understand about Christianity, and hear me, this is worth writing down, is this. Initially, Christianity is a change of status more than it is a change of behavior. It's so good, I'm going to rewind it to you, give it to you again. <laughs> Initially, Christianity is a change of status more than it is a change of behavior. Watch this. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. God sets them free in a moment, they're now saved. In a moment, their status changed from slave to saved. The challenge before I get into the promised land is how do I get my behavior to come into alignment with my new status? The challenge that faces us as believers every single day is how do I get my behavior to come into alignment with the status Christ has procured for me? And ladies and gentlemen, that is a process. It is a process. Uh, to, to, to kind of make it plain, I'll, I'll use this illustration. Uh, this month, actually the end of October, uh, kind of commemorates um, 37 years, I believe, that my father has been a citizen of the United States. 37 years my dad's been a citizen. And if you heard me preach here before at uh, People's Church, you know, I've told you that my dad is from Nigeria. From Nigeria, he came to America, like Eddie Murphy. <laughs> met my mom who's American. So when your daddy's African and your mother's American, that makes you African-American, okay? I'm the real deal. And so, <laughs> just letting you know. And, uh, and so my dad, when he came to this country, he was not a United States citizen, okay? He had to apply for citizenship. And so they asked him a litany of questions. He did an interview. I really don't know what happened. But once it was all said and done, they said, you are now a United States citizen, okay? Maybe they stamped him on the forehead. I don't know what happened. <laughs> say you're a United States citizen. But how many you know after being deemed a United States citizen, my dad did not wake up the next morning and go, hello, my name is Robert Madu Sr. We have the same name. And I am now a United States citizen. How many you know it did not go down like that, okay? Okay, if anything, he woke up the next morning and he said, hello, my name is Robert Madu Sr. And I am a United States citizen, okay? No citizenship is gonna change that accent, okay? Still a United States citizen, bona fide United States citizen. Not only that, my dad was a United States citizen. He had never seen football before, never seen American football. He's watching football on TV going, what are these idiots doing? <laughs> this is not football. The football I know, you take a ball and you kick it with your foot. This is not football. This United States citizen has never seen football before. Not only that, my dad's a United States citizen. He's never had pizza before, never had pizza. Somebody said, you want pizza? He goes, what is that? I don't know pizza, I know goat, I know chicken, I don't know pizza. United States citizen has never had pizza before. Not only that, my dad's a United States citizen. He has never seen snow before. Never seen snow. Hope you're not shocked by that. If you're shocked by that, you've never been to Africa, okay? It does not snow in Africa. It is hot in Africa, okay? I have preached in Africa. It is another level of heat in Africa, okay? Some of y'all are like, oh, it's so hot here in fall. Please, take you a trip to Africa. It is another level of heat, okay? You step off the plane, your nose hairs get singed. That's how hot it is. The thermometer just said hell. It is hot 
And after I've been there, I'm telling you, it's hot. The flies don't even fly. They get ready to, and they're like, you know what? This is stupid. I'm gonna walk today. You gonna walk? It's, it's, trying to let you know it's hot. So my dad, he's never seen snow. So he honestly thought that if snow landed on you, it would hurt you. True story. He thought it was acidic. And of all places, he lands in New York City in the wintertime. People, I can't make this up. This is my dad walking through New York wintertime as snow is coming down going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, don't let it hit me. Scared of the snow. Now, you laugh, you laugh, but how many know that was 30 plus years ago? Today, whew, he knows more about football than I do. He's at my house throwing pillows up in the air going, yes, the Dallas Cowboys are finally playing like a real team. Oh, thank God, all my prayers have been working. Now he knows about football. He'll get so excited watching the game. He's like, oh, this is so good, son. Can you order me some pizza? Now he knows about pizza. Not, not too long ago, we had an ice storm come through Dallas, like y'all get here in Oklahoma, ice storm. My dad, because he's such a servant, he's outside shoveling the ice on his driveway and everybody's driveway on the street, saying, oh, I don't want anybody to fall and get hurt, shoveling something that he used to be afraid of. Ah. See, the enemy loves to come into your mind and make you doubt your citizenship in the kingdom of God just because there's some areas of weakness in your life. But sometimes you got to talk back to the enemy and say, you're a liar. I'm still a citizen. God is not through with me yet. I'm not perfect, but I'm in the perfecting process. And sooner or later, I'm going to be who he's called me to be. Come on, is there anybody in here that understands God is the author and the finisher of your faith and you will become the Thing that he saw when he called you. You are still a citizen in the kingdom of God. Some of you need to shake off the lies of the enemy because he's gotten in your mind and made you think you're not a citizen. You are still a citizen of the kingdom of God. You just got to keep walking. Just keep walking. It is a process to become who God has called you to be. So I love God and his infinite wisdom and his omnipotent power. He understands that after I get the children of Israel out of Egypt, the next step is to get Egypt out of them. And to do that, watch this, I have to take them through the wilderness. He takes them through the wilderness. I was, I was thinking about that. I was like, what a messed up place to take somebody. <laughs> the wilderness, there's no life. <laughs> there's no water. There's no resources. Never in the Genesis account do you see God saying, let there be wilderness. Because there's no life in the wilderness. But oftentimes God will allow you to go through a wilderness season because he needs to remove some of your resources so that you'll know that he is your source. Sometimes he'll strip some things away from you so you'll understand he is the only single thing that you need. Some of you are in that wilderness season right now. And can I tell you, hold on to Jesus. He is the only single thing that you need. Jesus plus nothing always equals everything. If you're in a wilderness, hold on to your source. That's what he's teaching them. He takes them to the wilderness. If I had time, I would expound on all the miracles he did in the wilderness. You know he did some supernatural miracles. He did some signs that would make you wonder. I mean, people, Panera bread started falling from the sky. Panera bread. Moses hits a rock and Fiji water starts coming out of a rock. God did supernatural miracles in the wilderness. In fact, the Bible says they're walking through the wilderness and their clothes never wore out. Their clothes never got tattered. I'm thinking, God, they're in the wilderness. Nobody's looking at them. He said, no, I still want them to look fresh and clean. Woo! That's scripture for shopping. I'm just saying. And, 
He did supernatural miracles. You would think after all those miracles, you would think after providing for them, you would think after bringing them out of slavery, that every morning they would have gotten up and said, God, thank you so much for bringing us the victory. That's not what they did. The Bible says one morning they get up and they say, Lord, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to slavery. What? What in the world would make somebody cry out to go back to the thing that they cried out to get out of? And before you laugh and judge the children of Israel, can you do me a favor and check yourself <laughs> before you wreck yourself? Because what makes us go back to the very things that we say, God, please get me out of this? What, what makes the young lady go back to the abusive boyfriend? And God said, cut the relationship off. You cut it off, but then you get lonely on Friday night. And when he texts and says, hey, girl, I'm thinking about you, smiley face. <laughs> you go back. What, what, what makes the alcoholic who has seen, who has seen alcohol single-handedly destroy his family, what makes him go back into the store and buy another bottle? Isn't it funny how freedom can be frustrating? And the reason why freedom is frustrating is because it is so much easier to walk in what is familiar than it is to walk by faith. It is so much easier to go back to what you've always known than to trust God for the unknown and what's ahead. I get the children of Israel. I get what they're saying. They don't really want to go back to Egypt, but at least in Egypt there was a schedule. They're like, I know I'm getting whipped and beaten, but at least I know every day at 3 o'clock I'm going to get my beating. At least it's a schedule. But this whole thing of just walking and Moses don't seem like he know where he's going and the wilderness... <laughs> I'm sick of this. Take me back. Isn't it funny? It's so much easier to go back to what is familiar. I say, God, I'm going to trust you for what's ahead. And I feel like I'm on assignment here this afternoon at People's Church to tell somebody, you can't go back. You cannot go back. God has so much more in front of you than what's been behind you. And your destiny is so much greater than your history. And you got to just keep walking. In spite of how you feel, just keep walking. In spite of how dark it is, just keep walking. As I land and somebody comes to play on the piano so that you'll cognitively conclude that I'm landing the sermon. You know, I'll never forget hearing the story of a police dog. This police dog specialized in high-speed chases. One day, this police dog was chasing a suspect and goes out in the middle of a busy intersection. Cars are flying by. This car didn't see the dog. It slams on its brakes, but it was too late. The car hits the dog, and the intensity of the impact was so great, the car completely crushed the dog's hind legs. The dog miraculously survived the accident, but the accident affected its walk. Caused the dog to walk by flailing its front legs in front, dragging its hind legs behind. Flail its front legs in front, drag its hind legs behind. Come to find out when the dog got hit by the car, it was pregnant with puppies. Dog gave birth to the puppies, healthy, beautiful, Nothing wrong with the puppy's legs. But when the puppies got ready to walk, guess how they walked? By flailing their front legs in front and dragging their hind legs behind. And the veterinarian had the hardest time trying to get these puppies to realize 
Hello? There is nothing wrong with your legs. You've just been walking out the dysfunction that was modeled in front of you. So the veterinarian, hear me, began the process of teaching these puppies how to walk the way they were created to walk. Teaching these puppies how to walk the way their creator intended for them to walk. Teaching these puppies how to walk the way they were born to walk. Can I tell you, do you think you just came to service today because you didn't have anything else to do to hear some cute songs put on the screen and do Christian karaoke and hear a great message? No, every time you come in the house of God, every time you hear the word of God that's building your faith, every time you lift up your hands in worship in spite of your pain and your circumstance, do you know what God's doing? He's teaching you how to walk the way you were created to walk. He's giving you the strength and the fortitude to just keep walking. Come on, is there anybody in here that says, I'm not going to go back. I know that my destiny is greater than my history, so God, give me the strength and the grace to just keep walking. No matter what's been behind you, you can't go back. I'm believing God's going to silence the voice of the enemy. He's trying to get you to go back and give you the strength and the grace to just keep walking.